Peace be upon you. So when God selects messengers, there's certain criteria he informs us in the Quran that he looks for. In chapter 38, verse 45, we read, Remember also our servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were resourceful and possessed vision. We bestowed upon them a great blessing, awareness of the hereafter. They were chosen, for they were among the most righteous. Remember Ishmael, Elijah, Zalkifel, among the most righteous. So when God selects a messenger, he selects them because of their high moral integrity, that they were among their people, they were among the most righteous. And it's not to say that other individuals who weren't prophets and messengers couldn't reach that status, but it's just to say that this is one of the criteria that God looks for when selecting a messenger. In chapter 6, verse 124, it reads, When a powerful proof comes to them, they say, We will not believe unless we are given what was given to God's messengers. God knows exactly who is best qualified to deliver his message. So in this verse, God is telling us that the second criteria is based on the the people, that time, that place, who among the most righteous is the best qualified to uh, deliver the message. And um, it's interesting because Abraham, he found God uh, in his youth. And he was the best qualified and among the most righteous to give his message to his people who, you know, in return threw him into a, a fire. <laughs> and uh, Moses, he had a speech impediment. He said his uh, tongue gets tied. And God believed that he was the best qualified to deliver the message to Pharaoh. And you could think psychologically why that was. Um, here's someone who could barely speak to create an excuse for Pharaoh to disregard him despite the clarity of the message. And um, the third criteria is that to date, every single messenger, every prophet has been uh, a man. And some people find this controversial, but it's just a fact. In 21.7, it says, We did not send before you except the men whom we inspired. Ask those who know the scripture if you do not know. So we don't have a case of someone uh, having a messengership or prophethood that was not a man. And some people find that controversial, but um, it's just the way things are. And one of the important things to remember about messengership is that these are just human beings. They lived normal human lives. And if you saw them, you wouldn't think anything uh, different about them. You know, they don't walk around with angels and a halo over their head. And, you know, everyone who stared at them immediately became believers. These were just regular human beings. In 25.7 it reads, they said, How come this messenger eats the food and walks in the markets? If only an angel could come down with him to serve with him as a preacher. So the people at the time of the, the prophets and messengers, they would see this individual just walking around the market, eating food, just like everyone else. And they had a tough time believing that this person was directly inspired by God, authorized to deliver a message to the people. And they wanted something uh, more extreme, more elaborate. You know, they wanted the angels to accompany them. And uh, imagine, I mean... If someone told you, hey, this is a messenger of God, and you just see them, you know, shopping at the grocery store and, you know, cooking food or <laughs> driving a car, uh, it, it just goes in um, a contrast to the way that we amplify the status. You know, we imagine that these people uh, are just, you know, um, beyond uh, uh, our day-to-day, -day, uh, uh, the engagements that we have. 
In 14.11 it reads, Their messenger said to them, We are no more than humans like you, but God blesses whomever he chooses from among his servants. We could not possibly show you any kind of authorization except in accordance with God's will, and God the believers shall trust. So it's saying, the messengers themselves, they say, we are no more than humans like you. You know, if a lot of the times we have these examples where the, the people uh, at the time of the messenger, they would demand certain miracles. They wanted to see the same miracles of the past. And the messenger's responding that, hey, we can only provide you what was given to us. Um, imagine if a, uh, a mailman comes to your door and delivers you a package and you demand a different package. Uh, that's not their responsibility. Their responsibility is to deliver what information, what message, what package was meant for you uh, from the uh, original sender. In 18.110, we read, Say, I am no more than a human like you, being inspired that your God is one God. Those who hope to meet their Lord shall work righteousness and never worship any other God beside his Lord. And in 7.188, it reads, Say, I have no power to benefit myself or harm myself. Only what God wills happens to me. If I knew the future, I would have increased my wealth, and no harm would have afflicted me. I am no more than a warner and a bearer of good news for those who believe. And there's so much packed into this verse that the messengers, they have no power. You know, all power belongs to God. That they can't, they don't know the future. They can't increase their wealth beyond what God has allocated for them. And um, if God wills, uh, if they step out of God's kingdom, or if they need a, a pinch or a blessing in disguise, there's nothing they can do to avoid um, harm that's due their way. Only what happens in accordance with God's will. So we see that the, the messengers, again, they're just human beings. They have to go through the same trials and turbulations and uh, hardships and adversity as everyone else. In 2.2.14 we read, Do you expect to enter paradise without, God, uh, without being tested like those before you? They were tested with hardship and adversity and were shaken up until the messenger and those who believed with him said, where is God's victory? God's victory is near. I mean that the messengers themselves, they were getting shaken up. They were questioning God's uh, uh, victory. When was it going to come? And right at that moment when they almost lost all hope, God delivers on his promise. In 12.1.10 we read, just when the messenger despair and think that they had been rejected, our victory comes to them. We then save whomever we choose while our retribution for the guilty people is unavoidable. And this means that if the messenger fails in their responsibility, fails in delivering the message, fails in uh, uh, upholding moral integrity, that they would be cast out just like anyone else, that they are held to the same level of responsibility, if not more, because of the status, because of the, uh, the, the blessing that God has bestowed upon them. Um, to follow God's message, to apply it, to uh, lead a life of the highest moral integrity. And we see that because the messengers are human beings and they go through the same hardships and are tested just like every other uh, believing human being, that they too made mistakes. And God uses the examples of the messenger for us to learn. So God willing, we don't make the same mistakes. And they're put through the most extreme examples and it's interesting because the test that is given to us is commensurate to the level of belief that we have meaning that because the messengers were selected among the most righteous the test that they're going to have to endure is going to be a lot harder than the average believer and god uses the examples their history to show us that they're just human beings they made mistakes just like everyone else 
that we shouldn't elevate them as human beings. We shouldn't reverence them as human beings. In chapter 60, verse 1, we read about the mistake that Abraham made when he prayed for the forgiveness of his father who was destined for hell. And in 2187, we read about Jonah. Jonah was bestowed uh, messengership and prophethood, but he refused to go on his mission to Nineveh to deliver the message, and he thought that he could abandon his mission. And that was a sin that he committed, and God pointed this out for us so we can learn that we cannot walk away for what we're destined to do. In chapter 12, verse 42, we read about Joseph. Joseph was in prison, and when his cellmates, they asked him to interpret his dream, he saw that one of them was going to become the uh, butler for the, uh, the king. And rather than remembering God, he implored his cellmate to remember him at his Lord. And because of that, he forgot God. He momentarily committed idol worship. He asked for help from someone other than God. And because of that, he had to stay in prison a, a few years longer. And you think, you know, the average person, how often is it that we think that our boss is going to help us, our teacher is going to help us, our friends are going to help us, our spouse is going to help us, and we forget about God. Yet we don't have to pay the same level of punishment because our responsibility compared to the messenger is most likely less. And this is a blessing, but God shows us these examples for us to learn from, uh, for us to see that the, the messengers were just human beings like the rest of us. In uh, chapter 28, verse 15, we read that Moses killed a person. He committed manslaughter. And the only time that capital punishment is uh, able to be used is in the sense of self-defense, but also if someone else committed manslaughter and the victim's family can decide that capital punishment is the uh, punishment they want to pursue. But Moses committed a sin and God forgave him in that matter. But because of that, Moses felt threatened. He thought that, you know, fairness troops were going to kill him. So he fled. In 722, we read about the uh, example of Adam, where God told him specifically, do not approach this one tree. But the devil duped him and he approached the tree. He committed sin and God provided him with the means to repent. He gave him the, uh, the mechanism to be forgiven. In uh, 3831, we read about Solomon. Solomon was blessed with immense wealth but one day he was distracted by his horses to the point that he forgot about god and this was a sin committed to uh, by solomon and as an atonement he let go of his horses he let them go free to show so the devil can't make a claim against him that he loved his horses more than he loved god and again these are extreme cases but it goes to show that the messengers were just human beings they fell into the same uh, traps that any other human being uh, would fall into and God has given them the opportunity to repent to reform and for us and for them to learn from their uh, mistakes and we know every single creature that is in this world has committed the original sin that we question God's absolute authority and this resides for every single prophet and messenger as well in 3545, it says, If God punished the people for their sins, he would not leave a single creature on earth, but he respites them for a predetermined interim. Once their interim is fulfilled, then God is seer of his servants. So every single creature, this is every human, every jinn, every animal, every planet, every star, every mountain, every tree, every mosquito, ant, you name it, we all committed this original sin. And that's the reason we're here, is to atone for that sin to be able to make the right decision to make it back into God's kingdom. 
And one of the criteria that God tells us in the Quran that's very essential is that we make no distinction among any of God's messengers. Meaning that we, the God's messengers, we see them all as one and the same in the sense that we don't elevate one above another one. Um, in 2.285, the subtitle reads, he says, uh, you shall not make any distinction among God's messengers. And the verse reads, the messenger has believed in what was sent down to him from his Lord, and so did the believers. They believe in God, his angels, his scripture, and his messengers. We make no distinction among any of his messengers. They say, we hear and we obey. Forgive us our Lord. To you is the ultimate destiny. And a lot of people, they argue the point of what does it mean to make a distinction among God's messengers. And God is telling us, based on this command, the proper response is we hear and we obey. I mean, we don't make a distinction among one messenger above another. We don't elevate one messenger above another. Uh, a simple example is, why would we mention the name of one messenger above another in our contact prayer? Why would we mention any messenger in our contact prayer? But one of these key foundational pieces that we're making a distinction when we do such a thing. You know, why is it that some people celebrate the birth of one messenger and not another? Again, by doing so, they're making a distinction. And it's our duty not to make any distinction among God's messengers. And the proper response God is telling us is that we hear and we obey. And the reality is God is going to stratify every single creature that's commensurate to the good deeds that they've done in this world. And this is a um, characteristic of God, that he is the only one who judges. He is the only one who knows who's better than uh, someone else, who's more righteous than someone else. But this is not something that us as human beings are able to do. In 1755, it reads, Your Lord is the best knower of everyone in the heavens and the earth. In accordance with his knowledge, we preferred some prophets over others. For example, we gave David the Psalms. So God is telling us that, yeah, he has a preference. He knows which ones are more righteous than the other ones. But for us to make such a claim is to give ourselves a status that's commensurate to what God knows. And um, the reality is we do not know God's thoughts. We don't know what lies, the innermost thoughts of any individual, yet alone prophet or messenger. And based on this criteria that we make no distinction among any of God's messengers, we have to realize that Prophet Muhammad was no more than any other messenger of God. In 3144, it says, Muhammad was no more than a messenger like the messengers before him. Should he die or get killed, would you turn back on your heels? Anyone who turns back on his heels does not hurt God in the least. God rewards those who are appreciative. Meaning those who are fighting in the cause of God at the time of the Prophet. If they were fighting because they wanted the... Uh, accolades and the respect of the prophet uh, of the human being then they miss the point all we should be striving for is the respect from god the dignity that god bestows to be able to make it back into god's kingdom prophet muhammad was just a vessel that god has given to the uh, the people in order to deliver the message and we shouldn't glorify him or elevate him more than any other of god's messengers and we see that prophet muhammad just like all the other messengers made mistakes, he committed sin. And I believe the Quran overemphasizes this because God knew that the recipients of the Quran were going to have a tendency of elevating the prophet above the other messengers. And we see this time and time again. You walk into a masjid and you see God's name and you see Muhammad right next to it. Uh, this is a complete blasphemy. And you would never think that the, uh, the prophet would set up a masjid and say, hey, you know what? Uh, next to God's name, why don't we put my name there too? 
The prophet would never do such a thing. And God is giving us these examples to show that the prophet was just a human being. He went through the same hardship, the same struggles, the same test as all the believers did. In 48.1, it says, We have bestowed upon you, O messenger, a great victory, whereby God forgives your past sins as well as future sins and perfects his blessings upon you and guides you in a straight path. So it's telling us that God forgives the prophet's past sins as well as his future sins. I mean that there's no point in the prophet's life where he becomes sinless. This is a mechanism for all the believers is that we're going to commit sin. But the process that God has bestowed upon us is the process of repentance, that we repent for our sins, obvious or hidden, sins that we know or sins that we're oblivious to. And this wipes the slate clean. And the Prophet Muhammad was no different than any other believer. Occasionally, you know, he's going to make a mistake here and there uh, of some sort. Maybe he wasn't as reverent during his contact prayer. Maybe he didn't think about God at a certain moment when he should. And again, he's going to be held to a higher status than other individuals because of the responsibility that he has, because he was selected among the most righteous. In 1773, we read about the vulnerability of the prophet, that he was almost swayed from God's message. And it reads, they almost diverted you from the revelations we have given you. They wanted you to fabricate something else in order to consider you a friend. If it were not that we strengthened you, you almost leaned towards them just a little bit. Had you done that, we would have doubled the retribution for you in this life and after death, and you would have found no one to help you against us. Mean that not even the prophet or any messenger at that, if they step out of God's kingdom, if they defy a commandment by God, that their punishment is going to be more severe than some other uh, uh, just average believer. And we see this in the example of Jonah. Jonah thought that he could abandon his, miss uh, his uh, mission. And you see the, the repercussions he had to go through. We see that Joseph implored his prison mate to help him get out of prison. And because of that, he had to spend in jail several more years. So it goes to show that they're held at a higher status in the sense of if they commit a sin, because they have more information, because they have this direct communication with God, uh, their punishment is going to be more severe. And here it's saying, had you leaned towards them, because Prophet Muhammad was almost leaning towards them to fabricate something, God is saying he would have doubled the retribution for him and no one could have helped him. One of the uh, classic examples in the Quran that an entire surah is dedicated to, to show the uh, uh, the folly of the, uh, the messenger. And again, it's for us to realize that to learn from these examples, but also to show us that he was just a human being. It's in chapter 80, surah 80, uh, he frowned, Abasa, where it reads about an in interaction he had when spreading the message. It says, In the name of God, most gracious, most merciful, he, Muhammad, frowned and turned away when the blind man came to him. How do you know? He may purify himself, or he may take heed and benefit from the message. As for the rich man, you gave him your attention, even though you could not guarantee his salvation. The one who came to you eagerly and is really reverent, you ignored him. Indeed, this is a reminder, whoever will shall take heed. So here, the prophet was showing clear favoritism towards uh, the rich person rather than the blind person because he was favoring the potential influence, the status of the rich person, rather than thinking about who's more eager to save their soul. Because God could care less if someone's rich or poor in this life. What matters the most is who's the most righteous. And righteousness can be achieved irrespective if you're rich or poor.
And um, in the Bible, in James verse 3, it reads, If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If we judge people merely by their social status, merely by their wealth or their physical abilities, then um, uh, in, in the context of the righteousness, then we're committing an injustice. And God is showing us this example. And it's funny, some people, they make the claim that, oh, this isn't about the prophet, it's about one of his companions. I, I personally don't buy that. Um, I don't think uh, a surah, we have an example of a surah uh, in the context of a, <laughs> meant for a, one of the, uh, the prophet's companions. And again, it's just to show that the, the prophet was a human being. He made mistakes, and God corrects those mistakes. And God willing, he, he, re he repented and uh, improved on that. And this is part of the process. We see some of the other mistakes the prophet made during uh, the time of war. In uh, 942, the subtitle says, The Sedentary. It says, if, we're not, if it were a quick material game and a short journey, they would have followed you. But the striving was just too much for them. They will swear by God if we could, uh, we would have mobilized with you. They thus hurt themselves, and God knows that they are liars. God has pardoned you. Why did you give them permission to stay behind before you could distinguish those who are truthful from the liars? Those who truly believe in God in the last day do not ask your permission to evade the opportunity to strive with their money and their lives. God is fully aware of the righteous. So here it's saying that the prophet excused these people who made up flimsy excuses not to have to go and fight. And God here is pardoning him. He says, you, uh, why did you give them permission to stay behind before you could distinguish those who are truthful from the liars? You know, maybe someone had a genuine reason for not being able to go to war, but maybe they didn't. And so Muhammad co uh, committed a mistake here and God corrected him and pardoned him for such, a mis uh, such an oversight. <laughs> And again, for the average person, this would be inconsequential. But for the prophet, the messengers held at such a high uh, regard, uh, such a prominent position, their responsibility is more. Uh, just like the contemporaries' responsibility who have direct access to the uh, messengers and prophets, their responsibility is more. Just like the wives of the prophet, again, who have this direct access, their responsibility is more. Because they don't have as much of an excuse as someone who doesn't speak the language, isn't within vicinity, and uh, has to come to the understanding uh, of the message on their own. We see another example in the Quran of a clear mistake that the, uh, the Prophet made, and God, again, dedicates an entire surah to this topic. In chapter 66, verse 1, it says, O you Prophet, why do you prohibit what God has made lawful for you, just to please your wives. God is forgiver, merciful. And God doesn't give us the details because it doesn't matter. But the fact is that the prophet was prohibiting something that God did not prohibit just to please his wives. And this is a very uh, serious sin to attribute lies, to give a false prohibition. Um, this is something that... Uh, is very extreme and God and that's the reason that God dedicates an entire surah to this but again God doesn't tell us exactly what the sin was now we can speculate this and that but it's just goes to show that he was a human being he was swayed just like other people could be swayed and if it wasn't for God's mercy uh, of correcting him to teach him to give him the right understanding um, 
it could have been much worse. And the last example I think is the most uh, interesting is in regards to uh, Zaid. So Zaid was the prophet's adopted son. And God issued a command to the prophet that to marry the divorced wife of his adopted son. And it's read in 33 verse 36 through 39. And the subtitle is Major Error Committed by Muhammad. Muhammad the man disobeys Muhammad the messenger. I just want to pause here for a sec. Because it goes to show that the messenger, Muhammad, had a responsibility to follow the message, the commandments given to God, just like every other believer. And the verses read, No believing man or believing woman, if God and his messenger issue any command, has any choice regarding that command. Anyone who disobeys God and his messenger has gone far astray. Recall that you said to the one who is blessed by God and blessed by you, Keep your wife and reverence God, and you hid inside yourself what God wished to proclaim. Thus, you feared the people when you were supposed to fear only God. When Zaid was completely through with his wife, we had you marry her in order to establish the precedent that a man may marry the divorced wife of his adopted son. God's commands shall be done. The prophet is not committing an error by doing anything that is made lawful by God. Such is God's system. Since the early generations, God's command is a sacred duty. Those who deliver God's messages and who reverence Him alone shall never fear anyone but God. God is the most efficient reckoner. So here we have the prophet Muhammad fearing the people, fearing what they would think. Because this is something that was obviously considered awkward and taboo among the people. To marry the divorced wife of your adopted son. But God is setting a precedent here on so many levels. One, for us to prohibit something we don't like because it's socially awkward or it's taboo and attribute that to God is attributing lies to God. And this is something that we do not do. It is a very grievous sin. The second is the fact that This goes to show that the tests of the prophets and the messengers were more extreme than the average individual. God is giving Prophet Muhammad a direct commandment here to marry the divorced wife of your adopted son. And Prophet Muhammad, he buckled under pressure. He didn't want to do it. He said, you can keep your wife and reverence God when what he was supposed to do was marry the divorced wife of his adopted son. And it goes to show that it's very easy to say that certain things are prohibited just to, to, to simplify the task. But to say that we don't want to do something because it's socially awkward or it's taboo is one thing. But to attribute lies to God is something completely else. So if we're going to say something is prohibited, we have to make sure that it's backed by the Quran. Otherwise, we run the risk of attributing lies to God. You know, Irrespective of how awkward or taboo or whatever we think it is, uh, it doesn't matter. There's very specific things that God is saying, if you commit these acts, they're sins. Now, there's other things that we can choose not to to partake in, but to say that it's a sin, that we're hurting our souls if we were to do such things, again, is attributing lies to God. So why is God providing so many of these examples to show the fallibility of the, uh, the prophet? I believe, again, it's to ensure us that the prophet was just a human being that he had the same shortcomings as all the other prophets and messengers. And among the traditional uh, Muslim world, you see that they glorify the prophet 
that they elevate him at a status beyond the other uh, prophets and messengers, uh, that they put him next to God. I mean, for God's sakes, you walk into a uh, masjid and you see the uh, Prophet Muhammad's name next to God's. And we read in the Quran in 379, it says, Never would a human being whom God blessed with scripture and prophethood say to the people, Idolize me beside God. Instead, he would say, Devote yourselves absolutely to your Lord alone, according to the scripture you preach and the teachings you learn. Nor would he command you to idolize the angels and the prophets as lords. Would he exhort you to disbelieve after becoming submitters? So I highly doubt that the Prophet Muhammad during his life would have told people, hey, include my name in the Shahada. Include my name in the contact per Salat. These are fabrications that came way after the Prophet's uh, death. The Prophet advocated to worship God alone, to devote your religion absolutely to Him alone. And God is placing these examples in the Quran to show us that the Prophet was valuable, that he made mistakes, that he went through hardship, uh, that he committed sin for us not to glorify him to the extent of bringing him above human being status, to put him in a position next to God. And most people, they make the claim, they say, well, the Prophet was the perfect example. We have to learn from him. He's going to bring us closer to God. And God is telling us in chapter 39, verse 3, it says, absolutely, the religion shall be devoted to God alone. Those who set up idols beside him say, we idolize them only to bring us closer to God, for they are in a better position. God will judge them regarding their disputes. God does not guide such liars, disbelievers. To think that we have to idolize someone else, a human being at that, to get closer to God is a trap by the devil. This is something uh, the devil scheming to trick us into thinking that we cannot reach a status of becoming believers unless we idolize human beings. And the second we fall into that trap, we're one of uh, the devil's constituents. In chapter 5, verse 54, it reads, Therefore do not reverence human beings, you shall reverence me instead. The only entity in the entire universe we reverence is God. To reverence any human being, be it a prophet, a messenger, an angel, anyone, uh, is completely uh, blasphemous, and it's a form of idol worship. So God willing, we're going to stop there. If you guys got comments, questions, uh, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.